The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations they work with. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. But you knew that. Most all of the UCAP gang is on the road this week at the annual meeting and convention of the National Business Aviation Association in Atlanta. Jack rides heard on an extended gang this morning from UCAP Mission Control in Boston, while Jeb and Dave are joined in Atlanta by James Winbrandt with special visits by NBAA and EAA top dogs Ed Bolin and Tom Pobresny. We talk about the industry news presented at the show. Ed and Tom give us their take on the user fees situation. And we're all thinking good thoughts that they'll be able to find Jeb's plane among all the biz jets on the transient ramp. All this and more in Uncontrolled Airspace, episode number 48. Try the Peach Liney. Welcome, folks, to episode number 48 of Uncontrolled Airspace, the general aviation podcast. Uh, we're recording this episode. This is a little bit unusual, this one. Uh, we're recording this early on Thursday morning, September 27th. And it's actually like 7 o'clock in the morning, which is, uh, is very uncontrolled airspace. Uh, and uh, so uh, we're also this morning uh, once again pushing the limits of internet telephone technology. We've got people scattered all over, well, actually not scattered all over America, but scattered in all kinds of odd places on all sorts of different kinds of connections. And, uh, and uh, hopefully this is going to work out just fine. Scattered uh, all over a room in Atlanta is more like right, it. That's right. Or, or just plain scattered. Yeah. Let me say hello to uh, the other people we have here in the virtual hangar this morning. That was Dave Higdon, you just heard. Dave is an aviation photographer, a senior editor for Kit Planes Magazine, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. And he's sitting in the, uh, uh, at the NBAA Convention Center in Atlanta, Georgia. Good morning, Dave. How are you doing? Doing all right, Jack. Good morning to everybody from the Georgia World Congress Center, where we're in, uh, heading into the opening of the final day of the 60th annual, annual, 60th annual yeah, words is my life, National Business Aviation Association Convention. Easy for you to say. <laughs> and uh, also with us this morning, that was Jeb Burnside. Jeb is an aviation journalist currently serving as editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine and also is a contributing editor to AvWeb Biz. And he's sitting right next to Dave. Uh, Oddly enough, on a cell phone. Not that close. Okay. Um, and and, and got, got to be honest here, it's almost too early to be seeing one another like this. Uh-huh. And uh, so, hi, Jeb. How you doing? I'm, I'm well. I'm uh, trying to get caught caffeinated here this morning, but uh, um, raring to go. And as, as uh, Dave correctly said, it is the uh, opening the um, closing day of the 2007 NBA show. Yeah. And uh, we're all down here. Uh, uh, looking forward to today's festivity. Yeah. Uh, we are having a little bit of trouble with Jeb's connection. We're going to see if it settles out, but uh, let's see how things go here. Uh, Jeb is on a cell phone, even though he's sitting right next to Dave on Skype. Uh, also with us this morning, James Winbrandt. James is an author and aviation journalist, and he's down there in Atlanta someplace, but not in the same room. Hi, James. How you doing? I'm doing great. Good morning to everybody. And yes, I've just uh, spent a few fabulous days at the NBAA convention, uh, learning, looking, and uh, feeling great about aviation. That's great. That's great. And finally, it's our great pleasure to have with us this morning in the virtual hangar uh, the president and CEO of the National Business Aviation Association, Ed Bolin. Good morning, Ed. How are you doing? Good morning. Well, like everybody else, it's a little early for me, but I'm glad to be here. Well, great. Thank you for joining us this morning. So how are you guys doing? How's the show? Ed, how's it going? Let's ask you first. Uh, uh, how's the event going for you this year? We feel great about it. Uh, you know, we sold out the convention center. That's over a million square feet of exhibits. Uh, we had over uh, 100 airplanes out at static display. They uh, uh, really had some neat stuff. Uh, and our crowds have been great. We've gone over 30,000 people, and it's just been uh, a really uh, exciting time. A lot of big announcements, uh, some, some, some great technology on display, and I think everybody is very upbeat about the current uh, general aviation market. And, uh, you know, we're, we're concerned about the user fee battle in Washington, but we've had an opportunity to talk about that, and people are revved up to talk to their members of Congress about it. So all in all, I think we're having a very successful show. 
That's great. I, and I think we certainly want to talk about user fees uh, in a moment, but let's just talk about the, uh, the sort of more traditional part of the event for just a couple minutes. Who wants to jump in and tell us uh, what the sort of big stories have been uh, what, or, or the interesting stories? Oh, Jiminy, where do you start here? Uh, we had the uh, announcement early in the week, although not directly NBAA related, uh, impossible to ignore Cessna signing a letter of intent to buy Columbia aircraft. Uh, by my tally, we've had uh, aircraft sales here totaling in excess of $2.5 billion, and wouldn't be surprised to see more announcements yet today. Uh, Sino Swearingen, which had been kind of floundering down in San Antonio, has a new sugar daddy and uh, big cash infusion there. Uh, Epic Aircraft, uh, up and comer, uh, they sold a half interest to uh, a businessman from India, uh, wrote a personal check for it, $200 million. Uh, and something Jeb and I were thinking about, but uh, the accountant said we were a couple of cents short, so we didn't do that. <laughs> We could write that check. We just couldn't back it up. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But since we had your Social Security number, Jack, we were going to use yours. Yeah, I know. Well, and you know you're always welcome to give it a try. What the heck? That's right. James, wanted, uh, James, you've been wandering around down there, too. What's going on? Well, I would say that part of the vitality of these sales has to do with the fact that uh, we've been able to slice and dice access models in so many ways. We've, of course, had fractional, we've had card, and now I'm seeing a lot more people, it seems, a lot more companies offering charter in one form or another. And I think that's being driven in part by the Internet uh, and the availability of empty legs and all sorts of ways that uh, entrepreneurs are figuring out how to give people access to business aircraft to get where they're going because that seems to be the only way to get it done on time these days. Mm-hmm. Yep. I wanted to ask Ed a real quick question here. This is NBAA's 60th anniversary, and I was wondering if you could kind of contrast for us the difference between the environment in 1947, when you probably weren't around yet, and 2007. Well, I think the numbers say it all. NBA was founded in 1947 by 19 members. Uh, today, NBAA has 8,000 members. Uh, when we started having our annual meetings and conventions, they were done in hotel rooms. Uh, they progressed to hotel lobbies, and uh, we are now uh, the eighth largest trade show in the United States and the largest purely civil aviation show anywhere in the world. So uh, long way in a, in, a, in a relatively short period of time. We had last night, uh, uh, it was a lot of fun for me, a uh, uh, NBA charities uh, dinner. And throughout the dinner, we had on the screen uh, a reel that walked through the timeline of the past 60 years, uh, meritorious service awards from NBAA to folks like Arthur Godfrey and, uh, you know, a lot of just uh, uh, events that uh, remind people how far we've come, going to the turbine technologies uh, in the 60s, the uh, ultra-long-range uh, aircraft in the 90s, the Collier trophies, and the uh, legendary figures along the way. So it's been uh, been quite a journey, and the exciting thing is uh, we think the next 50 years is going to be more exciting. One thing that doesn't seem to have changed much is that NBAA, if I'm reading history correctly, was founded because of concerns about maintaining access to airports and airspace against the airline pressures of the 1940s. And uh, that is still a current issue for the association today, is it not? Well, it's very much a current issue, yes. In 1947, uh, there were a group of companies that were concerned. Uh, World War II had just ended, uh, and there was a lot of concern that some of the, uh, the airports would begin to close uh, and that the commercial airlines uh, would dominate the skies and impede our access to both the airports and airspace. Uh, and that was one of the primary reasons NBAA was founded, was to uh, promote business aviation and defend our access to airports and airspace. Today, uh, in Washington, uh, they've, they've called a meeting, uh, the administration has called a meeting of uh, airlines, business aviation, and others to talk about uh, congestion. Um, and so, uh, you know, the, the fight for our access to airports and airspace uh, is today a, a primary issue. Uh, just as it was in 1947, because it's really the foundation of uh, general aviation, business aviation. Uh, getting from point A to point B is is only worthwhile if you can fly it uh, in a relatively direct uh, fashion and land when you get there. Mm-hmm. When you say 
administration has called this meeting. Are you talking about literally today? I am. Wow. Uh, you're not going to be there, are you? Steve Brown, uh, who who uh, is NBAA's Senior Vice President of Operations, and uh, I would point out the former FAA uh, Associate Administrator for air traffic, uh, in other words, the top air traffic official uh, in the United States, will be representing us. Yesterday there was a hearing in the House Transportation and Infrastructure Committee uh, on airline delays. Steve testified and I think uh, made uh, made the most fundamental point that they need to know in Washington, and that is that airline delays are caused by airlines. Mm-hmm. James, you had a question, James. Yes, I was just wondering, Ed, if, uh, how did you get involved in business aviation? Uh, serendipity played a little bit of a role in it. I was uh, working in Washington, D.C. for Nancy Landon Kassebaum, a senator from Kansas uh, and a former chairman of the Senate Subcommittee on Aviation. Uh, when I got to the office, uh, I was handed uh, a portfolio of issues that included product liability reform, uh, for the general aviation mm. community. And for a number of years, uh, we toiled away, but ultimately in uh, 1994, we passed the General Aviation Revitalization Act. Uh, and it was signed into law by uh, Bill Clinton on August 17, 1994. And uh, shortly thereafter, I was contacted by the General Aviation Manufacturers Association. And a lot of the uh, companies that I had worked closely with uh, from Wichita and the then, chair, the then president of Gamma, Ed Stimson, um, told me that uh, Ed, after 27 years, was thinking about retirement. And they brought me over to, uh, to run the General Aviation Manufacturers Association. When I uh, went back and told Senator Kassebaum that I was going to go take a, a job in the aviation industry, uh, with the General Aviation Manufacturers Association. She said that uh, she had always said if the General Aviation Revitalization Act passed, it would create thousands of jobs. She just didn't know one of them was going to be for me. <laughs> <laughs> and, and for anyone listening who doesn't remember those dark days, uh, that act is credited with with indeed revitalizing and bringing back, certainly on the piston end of things, uh, the aviation industry for us guys who like to fly around uh, the skies and use aviation as, uh, as it can be used. Mm-hmm. We would not have companies like Cirrus and Columbia and uh, uh, Eclipse without that uh, legislation. Well, Justin had been out of that market for about 10 years, and the, the act allowed them to, uh, to come back, build a new factory, restart their uh, production line, and... Now they're uh, spreading their wings even farther, looking at composite airplanes with the Columbia purchase. So yeah. uh, it's been it was a watershed piece of legislation for this industry, no doubt about it. Yeah. And now we're facing another challenge. What's that? Jim? User fees. Yeah. User fees. So where are we yeah, on there's, that? There's no question that is a significant challenge. Uh, we had a panel here at the convention yesterday. Myself, uh, Phil Boyer from the Aircraft Owners and Pilots Association, and a woman named Selena Shalad, who is the executive director of the Alliance for Aviation Across America. Uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with the Alliance, this is a group that started with 100 people back in April. Uh, it was created for the sole purpose of defeating uh, the airline's user fee proposal. Uh, and preserving general aviation in small towns and rural communities across the United States. Uh, and over the past couple of months, uh, the organization has grown from uh, 100 to over 3,600. Uh, it's uh, organizations like the League of Rural Voters, uh, the Small Business Entrepreneurial Council, uh, the, uh, taxpayer, the, the uh, National Farmers Union, uh, just a wide range of uh, groups that, not just including general aviation groups like AOPA and NBAA, but also these uh, groups that represent small towns, rural communities all over the country, state aviation officials, local mayors. Um, and what we talked about was the, the challenge that we have with the big airlines uh, doing what they always do when the taxes are set to expire, and that is coming forward with a proposal that would allow them to shift cost and seize control of the air traffic system. Uh, yesterday we talked a little bit about their press conference that they held back 
on March 8th of 2006, where they uh, indeed announced uh, that their legislative agenda included an effort to shift $1.5 to $2 billion onto the general aviation community, specifically the business aviation community, um, and to gain more control over Congress. And we had a lot of fun uh, playing the videotapes of uh, the Air Transport Association president talking about those legislative goals. And then we also showed some of the attack ads, the vicious attack ads that the airlines are running. The airlines really came at this with a strategy to vilify uh, business aviation, to try to divide and conquer the general aviation community by splitting it between pistons and turbines, and to distort the truth. And we walked through their agenda um, and uh, talked about uh, their strategy and, and a lot of the ways that uh, they're trying to promote it. We told the crowd yesterday that uh, just this week, a Capitol Hill newspaper has reported that the airlines have spent $11.2 million uh, so far this legislative year, so just in the last uh, seven or eight months, uh, promoting uh, their user fee agenda. Uh, we know that in addition to what they're spending on Capitol Hill, that they are spending millions on uh, advertising that they are running on CNN airport uh, news and uh, ads that they are running on city buses in Washington and putting in metro centers. So it's a very, very aggressive campaign. Uh, but I think that uh, at this point, we're still standing. We've taken some of their best shots, but we do have a good bill that has passed the House of Representatives. Uh, last week, we had a, a good vote in the Senate Finance Committee. And so our message to all the people here at the convention is, yes, we are under attack. Uh, it's an extraordinary attack that we've never seen before, and it's going to require an extraordinary response from our community. Uh, but we are, uh, we're finding that there are friends of general aviation that go well beyond our industry. It goes to small towns and local communities, and people are organizing and fighting. Uh, they're going to NBAA's Contact Congress. Uh, resource, and uh, they're stopping their senators and congressmen in the street and grocery stores when they see them. They're calling into radio shows, and it's making a difference. We've got a long way to go, but we're, at this point, uh, have taken some real shots, and uh, we're still standing. One thing I want to point out is that uh, that 11 point some odd million dollar figure you quote is the amount that the airlines are forced to report. There's a lot of other money that they've spent. Um, uh, both on Capitol Hill and, of course, obviously in the in the uh, uh, advertising market, uh, that are not reflected in those numbers. Well, there are tens of millions of dollars, and they've got an army of lobbyists that includes former cabinet secretaries, former senators, former congressmen. Uh, you know, this this is one of the most powerful lobbies in Washington D.C. Uh, remember, after 9/11, when the general aviation community was grounded for several weeks. The airlines were flying in two days. Uh, they got a $5 billion bailout. They got a $10 million uh, loan guarantee. They got uh, uh, their insurance premiums paid. Uh, they've been able to uh, put a lot of their pensions off onto the uh, PBGC. Uh, some cases have special pension rules. Uh, you know, we're, we're up against uh, the biggest and the best uh, when it comes to uh, organized industries. And uh, they are coming after us, and uh, it's up to all of us to organize and fight back. And I think uh, NBAA clearly has a leadership role in, uh, in keeping people informed and in making sure everyone understands the issues and making it easy for them uh, to weigh in in the uh, legislative process. And uh, we're certainly trying to do that, but it's going to be up to a lot of people in the field at the grassroots level uh, to determine whether we win or lose this fight. That's great. James, did you have a question? Yeah, well, I wanted to comment, Ed. I thought uh, your choice of words that we had uh, fun looking at those clips of uh, James Mays of the ATA testifying and his comments and seeing those uh, ads. Actually, it made me incredibly angry, the incredible distortions that are shown in there and de depicting uh, business aviation of cutting in the head of a line, carrying a bunch of fat cats, drinking champagne that are on their way to a golf tournament some way. And then in the opening remarks uh, during the opening ceremony, Mary Peters 
our uh, Secretary of Transportation criticizing H.R. 2881 that was just uh, passed by the House. I'm curious, were you caught by surprise by her remarks? Was that meant as a shot across the bow when she criticized it for not including user fees? Well, as you know, the uh, the administration uh, has been very, very much uh, with the airlines on the whole user fee agenda. Um, it was the FAA that uh, actually came forward with the first legislative proposal uh, that we saw. And interestingly enough, it was introduced by the FAA on February 14th. And what I told uh, people at the time was that it was entirely appropriate that the FAA was introducing the bill on Valentine's Day because it was a sweetheart deal for the airline. It reflected their uh, every wish, uh, including user fees and, uh, and more control of the air traffic system. Um, and they haven't, uh, they haven't backed off on that. Uh, it, it seems that that's where they're, their heart is, uh, and the, the statement uh, that the secretary made uh, about the veto was not something that was new, Jeb. Uh, the, the administration uh, did provide what they call a statement of administration policy that suggested that uh, if, uh, if user fees were not included, then the top advisors to the, to the president would recommend a veto. Uh, it's really hard for me to understand. You know, the uh, FAA has suggested, uh, Marion Blakey, when she was the FAA administrator, that the only way to modernize our system is by going to user fees. And I think most people recognize that if the money's there, the money's there. And if it's not there, it's not. The, the bill that was uh, passed by the House includes more money than we currently have uh, by, uh, by over $200 million. Uh, what does that mean? Well, I think it means that we can go forward with NextGen. Uh, we had, uh, over the course of the past year, the General Accountability Office and the Department of Transportation's own Inspector General testifying before Congress that they think if we just leave the current system in place, don't raise taxes, just the growth of aviation itself would generate sufficient revenue to pay for our early stage development of next gen. So we've layered now on top of that an additional couple hundred million dollars. That ought to take care of it. So it's a little difficult to understand how uh, anyone can suggest that H.R. Uh, 2881 would not provide everything we need to uh, begin the early development of the next generation air traffic system. Uh, it's it's interesting to me that uh, th there seems to be a little bit of, uh, uh, of a conflict, a dichotomy, if you will, in the Air Transport Association's argument. They're desperate for more technology, but the technology that's being suggested, they're acting like uh, won't solve the problem for them, like they don't want to spend the money to, to upgrade to things like ADSB and WAS which are the very technologies that will assure some of the capacity increases in the airspace that, uh, that are available. Well, I think, uh, Dave, you, you're really getting to the heart of it, and that is when it comes to modernizing the system and expanding capacity. Uh, the airlines are talking the talk, but they're absolutely not walking the walk. Mm -hmm. if, you look, if you look at what the airlines have said, they said, boy, modernization is important. We need to expand capacity, and that's going to be very, very expensive. Now, we'd like a tax cut. So they're not willing, they're not willing to, to, to pay what they're paying today, uh, let alone pay additional uh, uh, sums of money to get to next gen. Yeah. Uh, they are looking at this legislative process the way they always do, and that is an opportunity for them to get yet another uh, tax break, special benefit uh, from Congress, and they're pursuing that agenda. They've, uh, they've as you pointed out, uh, come out saying, well, we're not sure ADSB is the way to go. We don't see how it benefits us. Look, if the airlines say they're interested in expanding capacity, don't believe them. And let me tell you why. We've had opportunities to build new airports in places like the Chicago area, in places like Southern California, uh, where everybody recognizes the uh, the current commercial airports uh, are are congested, and who who is it that opposes that? It's the airlines. 
when you have an opportunity for an airline, uh, they decide they don't need a gate. Do they put it back on, on the market? Do they give it to others, new entrants coming in? No. They always try to uh, restrict access and exercise domination over that access. That's where their pricing power comes from. Uh, all this talk about modernization is just Washington talk. When it comes time to putting money forward and expanding the capacity, you see them blocking that at every opportunity. Well, and it seems to be a reality, or at least <clears throat> seems to be a, uh, a belief that nothing can improve capacity more than additional runways. Well, we've known that uh, for a long time. and In, in fact, uh, in the summer of 2000, when we uh, last experienced significant delays, uh, a lot of the people talked about just uh, building new runways as, as a way to solve that. Twenty-five uh, new runways would have would have solved all of the uh, com- capacity problems, and it's still the best way to do it. Uh, but everybody uh, is looking for a, a more quick fix than that, and they're hoping that a new computer program can do it. We're, we're here in Atlanta, and some of you may remember, Atlanta was one of the most delayed airports uh, in the country, uh, but they did open a new runway recently. And as a result of that, they've gone off the most delayed list. Uh, we saw the same thing happen up in Minneapolis, where Northwest has a hub. So we know that the best way to expand capacity is through new runways and new airports. Um, uh, and, and we know that uh, those new runways uh, at busy commercial hubs are where we can avoid the delays because that's where the airlines are causing the delays. We also know that things like trying to schedule 57 flights an hour at JFK when 44 is all a little handle just starts a domino effect from the very start of the day, doesn't it? Well, the, uh, the Department of Transportation, as we speak, uh, has launched an investigation into the deceptive scheduling practices of airlines. Uh, I don't think you have to be an aviation expert or a mathematical genius to know that uh, a, a big airline cannot get 17 flights out all at 9.03 a.m. on a single runway. Uh, so there's, uh, there's a lot uh, that people are beginning to say, does reality match with uh, what the airlines are telling me? Uh, and all too often the answer is no. Well, joining us now in the virtual hangar is uh, another old friend of the podcast, uh, is uh, the uh, president and CEO of the Experimental Aircraft Association, Tom Pobrezny, is here. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Good morning. Thanks for letting me join the conversation. So you're down there in Atlanta as well, is that correct? Absolutely, being part of one of the finest NBAs that I've been uh, participated in. Yeah. So, how, what's the show been like from your perspective? What What are the stories that have uh, that are are a particular interest to EAA and to you? Well, I think first of all, it reinforces that these are good times for general aviation. Uh, you know, one of the obvious stories was the user fee issue, which has been we've been facing for the last couple of years, and uh, the news is encouraging. But I think what's really encouraging is the the wonderful state of affairs in general aviation from all aspects of the. Uh, spectrum and the technology innovation that's taking place that uh, bodes well for the future. Mm-hmm. We've just been talking about some of that, Tom, and uh, Ed's been kind of uh, going through some of the things that have been going on in Capitol Hill the last few days and uh, uh, kind of regaling us, if you will, with some of the uh, um, tactics and, and strategies that the airlines have been using. I know. Um, that uh, EAA and uh, NBAA, as well as many of the other alphabet organizations, have been working together uh, for literally years uh, on this user fee issue. Um, what what uh, what can you tell us about uh, uh, EAA's perspective on where we stand right now? And uh, I guess perhaps more importantly, um, how has EAA been working? Uh, uh, with NBAA and NBAA working with EAA uh, to try to achieve these mutual goals? Well, I think, first of all, uh, uh, this is a fight we wish we didn't have to fight, but we have to, and it's encouraging. But uh, optimism is not going to win the battle. It's going to be a lot of uh, hard work. And I want to give credit to Ed and to Pete Ponce at Gamma and Phil Boyer at AOPA for the outstanding work they're doing on the Hill because that's where the fight is taking place right now. Our role has been in the grassroots aspects to get the the membership uh, out there and participating and, and reinforcing the importance of this fight to our elected officials and uh, at all levels of government. Uh, another thing this has brought to light is the fact that 
it's you know, general aviation community from the definition. That's all aspects from business aviation to light sport aircraft and everything in between. And it's really united this to get a common issue, and that's been user fees. Let me let me jump in on that because, uh, as I said before, the the airlines had a clear legislative agenda. They wanted to shift two billion dollars worth of their taxes onto general aviation, and they wanted to seize control of the air traffic system. And their their strategy for doing that was very simple: divide the general aviation community in small segments and pick them off one at a time. Uh, I think that uh, what they didn't understand was the cohesiveness of the general aviation community. Uh, about 18 months ago, a little less than that, uh, at uh, Air Venture, uh, probably uh, oh maybe two or three months after the airlines came forward with their agenda, uh, Tom uh, and his group uh, created a panel where all of the general aviation community, EAA, uh, NBAA, Gamma, uh, uh, P, uh, the folks over at AOPA, some of the manufacturers, we all sat on a panel together. And the, the one clear theme from that is that the general aviation community is united and we will not be divided. And to the frustration of the nation's big airlines and uh, I think FAA uh, at times, uh, the community has stayed very solidly together. And uh, to, to whatever extent we've been uh, effective on Capitol Hill, it has been because this general aviation community has remained united and in our uh, common cause against uh, the attacks by the nation's big airlines. Oh, anybody in the airline industry that had a doubt about that uh, cohesiveness needed to be at Oshkosh this year and see yeah. the no-user-fee buttons and stickers that the EAA members and non-EAA members adorned themselves with all across the grounds. Uh, Tom and your, your, your folks did a phenomenal job of getting the message out, and uh, and uh, the membership seems to have uh, risen to, to the task. Well, Tom, you did mention about the grassroots need, and uh, Ed, yesterday you mentioned this fight is not going to be won on Capitol Hill, this is a fight that's going to be fought and won on Main Street. What should people, uh, our aviation community members out there who may be listening and others, what should we be doing? How can we help? Hands-on approach. Get personally involved, and there are lots of ways to do that. Uh, if you just go to NBAA's website, nbaa.org, uh, you'll have a, uh, and you don't need to be a member of NBAA to do this. Anyone can go to our website, and there will be an icon there that says Contact Congress. That will give you an opportunity. All you have to do is put in your name uh, and your address, and right away we'll figure out who your senators are, who your congressman is, and we'll have uh, emails that you can send to them. I would urge people not to stop there. Uh, get their families to, to email. Get their coworkers to email. Talk about this in the community. Uh, we also have on our website what we call our uh, our advocacy uh, page where you can go and see another other ideas for how you can get organized. Uh, you know, showing up at a town hall meeting or calling in uh, when members of Congress have uh, have talk shows uh, and go on with an open mic. Uh, these are all effective ways to do it. But again, don't say, ah, I wrote a letter once. I'm sure they got the message. Write early, write often, get others to do the same. Uh, this is this is one of those things where members of Congress uh, have got bosses too. They're called constituents. They're the people that that decide whether they keep their job or they lose their job. Let them know that uh, you vote, uh, you care, uh, and and this is an issue you're watching closely. Mm -hmm. And and uh, the, the, the votes count. And I tell you what, I can't reinforce enough what Ed said in terms of the elected officials respond to the voter and. And uh, this is a battle that uh, you can't let optimism take over. It's realism. Realism is active participation. And I want to go back to something we talked about earlier in terms of the GA community. It's, it's remained united. If anything, it's strengthened over this issue and brought us closer together. Uh, but the important part is that uh, the airlines tried to redefine general aviation by separating important segment business aviation. And uh, uh, they miscalculated on that issue. And I think what it's done is helped to... Uh, ensure that that definition remains in place, not only with the airlines and with the constituents, but within the uh, uh, government uh, area of FAA. Mm -hmm. 
Jack, before we go any farther, we yep. need to uh, we need to let uh, Ed here off the phone and, and move on to his board meeting. And I okay. uh, want to thank him profusely for getting up at the uh, oh, dark 30 and joining us here in, uh, in, in our virtual hangar and uh, let him know that we're going to pick on him again from time to time. You can learn more about uh, Ed's organization, the uh, National Business Aviation Association, as you mentioned a moment ago, at nbaa.org. And uh, uh, and a lot of uh, the general aviation news is now is fil- this week is filled with stories about all the events that are going on down there. So, Tom, how you doing? What's going on? So, we, what other issues down there at the uh, at the convention are of particular interest to EAA and its members? Well, as much issues as its opportunities. Uh, as I said earlier. Uh, many people maybe don't realize how broad the general aviation community is. It's, it's, it really represents all the uh, aviation except for the commercial carriers and commercial activities. And uh, this has become an important event for us. There's a lot of EA members here, and there's a lot of organizations that uh, respond out of the uh, home build movement. You've got uh, Columbia and, and Cirrus and, of course, the technology, uh, cockpit technology from Garmin and others. Uh, this has become an important event for us. There's a lot of members here that... They fly corporately, fly in the business world, uh, uh, all aspects of the general aviation community. And uh, it was said years ago by Jack Alcott, and I truly believe it, that NBA and EA represent the bookends of aviation. That's you know, Tom. Go ahead, James. It, it, yeah, it bookends indeed. And some might have thought a few years ago somewhat uh, strange bedfellows. Uh, but yet, an, an interesting aspect we're seeing more and more composites entering into the business aviation community construction and of course commercial aviation as well but this was a technology that was pioneered at the experimental aircraft uh, association level absolutely what you're finding is that Oshkosh as we've known for years is not only the home for craftsmen but the home of innovation and we see the announcements take place at Oshkosh and many of the announcements that take place uh, going to the marketplace here at NBAA but uh, What's also overwhelming for me is the, the number of EAAers that I had have a chance to, to, to talk with uh, working the halls of the event and they come by the EA booth. And uh, it's just a great time to reinforce and, and reconnect on relationships that are important to the future of uh, aviation. And Tom, what are you flying yourself these days? Well, uh, I sold my twin Comanche. Uh, it was time and looking for another airplane, but... Uh, you know, J3 Cubs and Cessna 182s, my flying right now is, is almost literally totally recreational. And, you know, you kind of go back to your roots, and that's my roots. Uh, I missed the aerobatic flying 25 years of it. It was a, a great run, but uh, it's time to let uh, some of the newcomers take over that aspect. Uh-huh. Speaking of grassroots flying, one of the things, that, one of the themes that we touch on a lot here on the podcast uh, is helping people get involved with flying. How do they actually break through and start start their lessons, and how do they afford it? Last week on this podcast, we were talking a little bit about the new program that you folks have introduced, the uh, Reach for the Sky e-newsletter. Uh, right. Can, can you tell us a little bit about that and what your goals are for it? Already, it, it steps back even further in time. The fact is that um, you know we, we've taken the position that if we can encourage almost 29,000 people to get home built on the registry in terms of certified airplanes, which is a major undertaking, we can certainly encourage tens of thousands of people to learn how to fly. And, and we need to do it uh, to support the industry, to support the community, support the infrastructure. We can't survive on 600,000 active pilots, which is what we have today. And and that was the impetus behind Sport Pilot and Light Sport Aircraft, which was a vision to, to cut the time and money aspects of uh, learning how to fly. And uh, that vision has become a reality and was validated this past year at Oshkosh by Cirrus and Cessna. And, uh, I can tell you from meetings I've had over the last few weeks, there's others uh, looking to get involved not only from a training aspect, from the learn-to-fly aspect. And what, what, we have, what we face as a community is the fact that we need to grow the pie. And, and that's our, we think, is our role. We have, we have an infrastructure through chapters and our relationship with the National Association of Flight Instructors. So the Learn to Fly newsletter is just one other step to let people out there who dreamed of getting involved in aviation, let them know that the barriers they thought existed really don't. And, you know, our conversations like this today, hopefully you reach out to people and say, hey, I can do that. And as you all know, there's, there's nothing more uh, satisfying than flying and taking people up and sharing the three-dimensional aspects of uh, flight. Absolutely. Tom, I was talking with some folks here uh, at NBAA a couple of days ago and, and, and mentioned that I'd seen you in the hall, and that they expressed a little surprise that you weren't back in Oshkosh working on next year's convention. And, and it dawned on me that some people may not understand that uh, 
that EAA and, uh, and Oshkosh, uh, the museum and the facilities there, don't exactly go dormant from one Oshkosh <laughs> air show to the next. And I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about what happens uh, as winter comes to Wisconsin and the work that goes on in preparing for next year's show. Well, that's a, that's a great comment. First of all, all the work on next year's Oshkosh doesn't take place at headquarters. That's one of the reasons I was down here, because many of the uh, active participants, exhibitors, uh, partners, and so forth are here at NBAA, and it's a chance for me to talk to them at a time when I'm not deeply involved in in the operations of the convention. Uh, you know, the convention is, is our showcase and, and takes a significant amount of time, and we're in the planning stage, but... You know, we, we publish six magazines a month, uh, Washington office, an outstanding network of a thousand chapters, uh, you know, electronic communications. Uh, we're, <laughs> I guess you could say, a full-service association. And the year-round activities, as you highlighted with the museum, uh, we host almost 300 events at the museum each year, many of them which are aviation-related. So uh, it's it's a very vibrant time in aviation, a very vibrant time for EAA. And, and uh, I try to spend as much time in the field as well as at headquarters. And this is one of those trips. You also have a pretty full agenda of uh, activities across the way at uh, Pioneer Airport during the winter, do you not? Absolutely. You know, uh, we're an organization that encourages people to restore, build, fly, own. Uh, we're also an organization that, that flies many of the venerable aircraft of the of the past as well as the, the, the current ones. Uh, the B-17 is on the road nine months out of the year visiting chapters and eight local communities. And uh, this year, the B-17 will fly over 4,000 people who experience something pretty rare the Ford Trimotor at Pioneer, we have Travel Air and RV, uh, RV series of airplanes. So you can experience the home built open cockpit or historical airplanes. And that's important because those legacies are the, what uh, form the core of the passion that people have for flying. And you've got a, uh, a, a ski plane fly-in scheduled for this winter, <laughs> uh, presuming it snows yeah. enough. That's the, you know, that's the thing. Every time we schedule it, you think in January it'd be pretty safe, and about four out of the last six have been uh, melted out, I guess you could say. But you had a good one last winter, didn't you? I think I think you had some good yeah, snow. We, we, and, uh... we, we, finally, we finally did. You know, it's one of those things that uh, I don't know if there's a, a change in the environment or whatever, but uh, uh, we, we get snow, but not at the times we used to, and uh, not as frequently or as often, but uh, I'm sure we'll be ready for it this year. But it, you know, and that's another passionate group of people in terms of those who uh, are flying skis and flying floats. Mm-hmm. Tom, one of the things we're seeing at NBAA this year is uh, a great increase in foreign sales. Uh, Gulfstream has mentioned that for the first time they're selling more aircraft overseas than they are uh, domestically. What are what are the prospects for growth of the EAA and uh, and for uh, just piston engine aircraft uh, around the world? Well, what's interesting, that's a great question, James, is that uh, EA has become, it's always been an international organization, especially as it relates to the convention with over 60 to 70 countries represented, but with the uh, communications capability, electronic communications today, uh, the opportunity to be more global uh, is, is, is growing significantly, and that builds around the fact is that the passion for flying is the same no matter what language you speak and what part of the world you live. It's just a matter of giving, providing access. So uh, it's, it'll be incremental. It's not going to be overnight. It's not going to be as, as, as uh, impactful as what you're hearing here in terms of the sales that are taking place. But I can tell you that the lack of better globalization is, is a, a word that's uh, going to be more reality in the future. But our core constituency is still here in the United States and in North America. Mm-hmm. Well, we've heard a lot from our great guests this morning, uh, uh, James and Jeb and Dave. Tell us a little bit about what you guys have seen out there uh, so far the, this, these last few days. Uh, any good parties? Well, it, it, it's, it's kind of difficult, I guess. I, what I've seen is, is mostly the inside of a press room and, and the front of my computer screen, uh, trying to get some stories out and uh, uh, make sure that uh, those who are not fortunate enough to be here in Atlanta this week... Uh, have a some something of an idea of what's been going on. Uh, looking around the floor and and uh, looking around uh, some of the faces, uh, very very familiar faces, some of them and uh, many of them uh, people uh, um, that uh, you, you simply don't know. They're here from various walks of life, looking at uh, what's new and and uh, dynamic in this industry. Um, what I what I see walking around the floor and uh, uh, in the faces of people is. Uh, 
an optimism, a, a genuine dedication to uh, making sure that uh, whatever, whether it's for business reasons or personal reasons or whatever reasons, that uh, they have uh, access, ready access to, and the flexibility to uh, uh, avail themselves of general aviation and business aviation in all its different forms. There's uh, <clears throat> on the, on you walk the exhibit floor, you see uh, products ranging from. Uh, components, uh, 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 fuselage components, landing gear components, down from from uh, bushings and bearings all the way up to uh, uh, mock-up of the Bell uh, 609 tilt rotor and uh, everything in between. Out of the static display, everything from Gulf Streams to Cirrus, uh, and uh, of course uh, all the gaps in between there also. Uh, <clears throat> There's a lot of optimism here about uh, uh, the future. I, I would venture to say that uh, um, the one thing that uh, some some more recent NBAA shows uh, have featured, which are uh, big, splashy um, new product announcements, new airframes, uh, the wow factor, if you will, that's not been present here this year. Uh, and that's probably a good thing. I think uh, we're seeing uh, the industry realize that uh, we've got enough different products out there. We've got enough different uh, and new airframes in the pipeline. What we need to do is go about the business of making sure that our business is viable uh, in the future. The user fees argument or, or issue that we've uh, spent a lot of time talking about this morning is, is very important to that. But uh, just making sure that uh, uh, safety is a priority, that uh, we all have the tools we need to uh, uh, get from point A to point B is, uh, uh, I think, what's driving some of the, this year's show. Uh, it's a good thing. Um, it's, uh, we can't, uh, every year, we can't uh, have uh, uh, new uh, airplanes coming down the pipeline. This year, I think, is one of those years. Uh -huh. Tom, are you trying to jump in? Yeah, uh, I, I want to reinforce what you just said, and the fact is that uh, we got to be careful that you can't expect a wow factor every year. It's great to see new new airframes and new innovations, but there's a time where you got to take the wow and make it reality, and I think we're seeing more this year taking what we've seen in the past that's been introduced and, and getting it into the uh, general aviation pipeline, whether it's at, at the Oshkosh this year or here at NBAA. And I think what's exciting is that a lot of the things that were visions and ideas and introductions are truly becoming reality, and that's what's creating the help for the general aviation community because the people that are walking on the halls here, and you're right, first of all, it's it's uh, pretty overwhelming to try and just cover everything and maintain your bearings and even a little even GPS. But what people are doing is that uh, aviation's meeting their expectations rather than them having to have their expectations parallel aviations, and I think that's what's really encouraging is that it's going to bring more people in because expectations are high, and and it's a challenge, but I think general aviation is meeting that challenge with reality. Mm -hmm. Dave, what are, what are you seeing? Well, it, it's felt like the uh, the theme of the show from before opening day. Uh, the day before opening day, we had a marathon day of press conferences here, uh, <laughs> about thirty some odd with different manufacturers and different organizations, and and and, and the whole thing has had a sense of of. of being an evolutionary show rather than a revolutionary show, kind of like what uh, what uh, uh, Jeb was talking about. And now the uh, the industry, the uh, business aviation in this, in this segment in particular, is sitting on record order backlogs. And uh, so, you know the, the the concern is like like Tom was uh, was hinting at is to to deal with those backlogs, deliver what's uh, what's been developed and what's sold. Uh, fulfill the expectations of the customers, uh, and 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 to manage those backlogs in a way that uh, doesn't create uh, uh, some bailouts by people whose uh, orders are far downstream, uh, and 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 it's at all ends of the spectrum. Uh, Boeing business jets, for example, which sells several versions of the 737 uh, as a corporate aircraft, they're sold out through 2012 on that line. Uh, so we've got a little time to raise the money for ours, is what you're saying. Yes, we do. That's right. Well, we, 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 we want to be able to get those into uh, the North 40 campground at Oshkosh. Uh, <laughs> right. The, uh, the place hasn't lacked for a feeling of dynamic. Uh, it, it's, it's been no, it's busy. Not. It's been very active. 
Uh, you know, Cessna's uh, folks are talking about uh, the possibility, the probability they'll, they'll move forward with what they've been calling their large cabin concept airplane, which uh, would move them into a category they've not been present in before. Uh, right. But at the same time, there's been a lot of talk here uh, about Cessna's entry into the light sport market and out of the well, static display. I'm sorry. And their acquisition of, of Columbia. Yeah, uh, that's absolutely. Right. There uh, are all points of the spectrum there. And out of the static you know, display, there's 105 aircraft. And talk about the uh, uh, Alpha and Omega. Uh, the <laughs> biggest thing I've seen out there was a 737. It was a Boeing business jet. The smallest right. thing I saw out there at the static was a La Presti Fury. So uh-huh. a little two-seat tailwheel evolution of the uh, of the uh, old Globe Swift. So uh, this place doesn't lack for variety. James, you were trying yeah. to jump in there. Go ahead. Well, I, you had asked about uh, parties, and I wanted to mention <laughs> that uh, <laughs> I don't remember <laughs> anything about any parties occurring here. There are no there parties. It's, it's all business. That's right. Wait, wait. Last, you party, you uh, wouldn't. Uh, Go ahead, yesterday James. evening after the show, uh, Cirrus. Uh, co-hosted a party with Chalk Hills Winery, and I think this points out a, a good aspect of general aviation that is often overlooked. Uh, the party was to kind of announce uh, the upcoming auction. Cirrus has donated an aircraft, and there's going to be an auction uh, of that aircraft and a number of other items out in California that's going to raise millions of dollars for a variety of causes, uh, all worthwhile, I would think. And uh, that also reminded me of how in the uh, opening ceremonies, Jimmy Hayes, who is the president and CEO of, of uh, Cox Enterprises, uh, an international firm that is headquartered here in Atlanta, talked not only about the importance of aviation to the growth of that company, but of the importance to him personally and the organization of the angel flights that they conduct, donating their time, their resources, and their aircraft to help out others, and that's a part of the community that certainly is completely ignored uh, by the airlines when they try to vilify and character, uh, make caricatures out of people using these aircraft in a way that are benefiting so many communities in ways that people really don't think about, and that's something I, re- I think also deserves to be mentioned. Yeah. Absolutely. The humanitarian aspects are uh, underrated and undervalued, but uh, their impact is significant. Hey, Jeb, did you fly the Debonair up there, or did you... Uh... I did, I did. So, I've never uh, actually seen it in person, but I've seen pictures that the uh, transient ramp um, at these uh, near these events can be quite a scene in itself. Well, I'll give you the vignette uh, from my perspective, flying in, and I the the, uh, the static display airport here in Atlanta this week is uh, Charlie Brown Fulton County Airport. Um, I flew into um, Peachtree DeCab Airport, which is another uh, general aviation facility on the other side of the city. And uh, several miles out, of course, is you know, operational practice. You tune in the ATIS and you listen to what the field conditions are. And the, the weather information occupied about 10% of the total length of the ATIS broadcast. <laughs> the, the, the taxiway, runway... Uh, closures, uh, the, just the listing of the, the pavement closures at PDK uh, went on for the rest of the broadcast. Um, uh, PDK has uh, uh, three basic runways. They have uh, uh, one one set of runways is is uh, two zero left and right, and, and runway two left and right. Then they have a nine two seven. Uh, runway, and then they have a runway that's, uh, I forget the exact numbers, it's oriented northwest and southeast. Uh, the south, uh, the, the east-west runway 927 was closed. The northwest-southeast uh, runway was closed. The only runways in, in operation were 20 left and right and 02 left and right. Uh, taxiways, you know, Charlie through Foxtrot are closed. Uh, uh, non-movement areas, just the whole list of things. Um, I taxied in, shut down, and we you know, right, oh, oh boy, we must be in the front row kind of thing, and uh, got the airplane uh, unpacked and secured, and uh, I turned around as I was walking away, and they were hooking it up, and it was 
gone. And it's probably somewhere you know, out near Athens right now. And uh, it's that crowded, it's that busy. When I you know, get ready to go, I'll call them up and say, you know, I need to go. And, uh, uh, you know, I'll see a, uh, a C-130 or something fly in and they'll unload my airplane and, and I'll get out of here. But uh, um, it, it's that crowded, it's that busy, it's that dynamic, but it's also that professional and uh, uh, people have done this before. We're used to it. Um, uh, it it's uh, somewhat high pressure, but on everybody flying in and out, and <clears throat> the the uh, the ramp uh, people at PDK. But Eps Aviation, from my, everything I can tell, has done a great job out there. And uh, uh, welcome the NBAA. It, it's it's oh it's it's kind of like uh, uh, flying in and out of Oshkosh and. Uh, uh, dealing with uh, uh, just the sheer quantity of airplanes there. Uh, it's very similar, but everyone here is wearing uh, khakis and a, and a blazer. Mm-hmm. Hey, fellas, it's just time. I'm going to have to head off because I'm getting ready to leave, but I just wanted to say thank you. Uh, thank you. Okay, Tom. For having me join you. It's thank a great you, Tom. Opportunity and hey. Let's do it again. Tom, before you go, I wanted thank to you, just. Tom. One thing I wanted to mention to you before you run off here, um, I wanted to tell you that, that Uncontrolled Airspace Podcast had an awesome time at Oshkosh this summer. Yes, we um, did. We, we, we did. just had a, a, a great opportunity to do a couple episodes of the podcast, and the gang at EAA Radio were just the greatest hosts. Um, they were friendly. They made us feel welcome. They uh, really went above and beyond the call of duty to deal with some technical issues. Um, it was just a terrific experience all around, and I wanted to just kind of take this opportunity to thank EAA for making us feel so welcome. It was terrific. Well, and there wouldn't be... No, I was going to say it's great to hear because you always like to say it was the best ever, and I can say that this was true this year. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. And, Go ahead, and the James, podcast quickly. got started at EAA. That's the genesis. That's right. It got right. started at AirVenture. That's because it's, that's all, it's all EAA's fault. That's right. Well, and just, just be sure it stays your home. That's right. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's very, very close to us, the organization and the event. Thanks, Tom, for uh, joining, with, uh, joining with us this morning in the virtual hangar. Tom, the president and CEO of the Experimental Aircraft Association. Learn more about his organization at ea.org. Thanks, Tom. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Tom. All right, guys. Well, this has been an exciting episode. Uh, any other uh, shout-outs or anything before we, we are starting to reach the end of our allotted time here? What else is going on well, in the aviation world? Uh, thank you. Thanks to NBAA uh, for not only obviously putting on there the 60th annual meeting and convention, or is it 60th? Yeah, 60th. 60th yeah. Um, annual meeting and convention, but uh, uh, for making Ed available. Thanks to EAA for making Tom available, and, and both Tom and Ed personally. Um, it's, it's been a great show. It's not over with yet. Uh, um, uh, today's uh, uh, the final day, and uh, there will still be plenty of uh, things to do, and Thanks to see, and uh, uh, hopefully there'll be some news that we can report later uh, um, in our respective outlets and, and next week on this podcast. Um, everybody should have a safe trip home, I hope, and uh, um, we will do it again soon. Yeah. Uh, not that I'm signing off or anything, but... Uh, uh, is there anything else going on in the aviation world, or is that it? A uh, couple of things. First of all, for those not here, probably most listeners, just the physical layout of the NBAA show this year, it occupies two mammoth floor spaces, and it is very difficult to cover it all, and we are, you know, frankly working here, those of us on the phone, and we wish we could, you know, have fulfilled what is probably people's fantasy of what we do, of just kind of roaming around and looking and absorbing it all, and we wish we could, but uh, there's just so much of it, it's humongous, and we are often chained to our, uh, you know, in front of a computer screen, and uh, this show is also celebrating the 100th anniversary of Powered Flight, in Georgia, and it's interesting, we've talked about uh, Pat Epps of Epps Aviation. It was his father who made that first flight out of a, uh, a farm field somewhere. So there is that actual physical connection to the roots of aviation here, which is really also spectacular. Mr. And, Epps uh, also Georgia's first home builder because he built that airplane himself. So there, so EAA and NBAA, and it all gets wrapped up, and we see how intertwined they are. And uh, so it's it's again been a great pleasure to be here. Wish I had more time to just cruise around and take in everything. And uh, but looking forward to all the events coming up. Now I'm going to be heading off to the gathering of Mustangs and Legends, going back to New York today. Tomorrow fly out Ooh, to there. Jealous. What's that? I'm jealous. <laughs> 
And then, uh, of course, everybody's talking about AOPA's convention coming up in early September in Hartford. So if folks are in the vicinity there, early October. great opportunity. Yeah, early October. Next Excuse week. Excuse me, early October. Next week, Sorry, as a matter gang. of fact. So, uh, yeah. Week. Yeah, it starts Thursday next week. Yeah. So that's the one I get to go to. I'm sitting up here in Boston today while you guys are having all the fun, but I'm going to that one So it's because it's nearby. Good for you. I can get to that one. Well, we want a full report. Yeah, well, now, Dave, are you still planning on being there? Uh, I'm still working out the details on that. Uh, uh, I'm still planning on it, but it's not firm yet. Uh, But one way or another, I'll either be there physically or in spirit. Uh Uh-huh. So that could mean I could be the one camped out in the convention center, and you guys are sitting back at your desk. Yeah. Yeah, okay. That's right. That's, that's right. right. That's right. Because somebody's got to cover all these important events. My the, goodness. The foo on the other shoot. That's right. Uh, uh, Dave, Jeb, any other shout-outs before we break this thing off? No, I, I, I think uh, um, we probably used up our a lot of time. We're pretty close. Dave? I'm out of coffee. Okay. <laughs> Well, we want to thank everybody for joining us this morning in the virtual hangar. It was a little chaotic at, mo- at, at a couple of moments, but it was terrific. A lot of great information and a lot of great conversation. Uh, thanks to uh, Tom Pobrezny of the Experimental Aircraft Association. Learn more about him and his organization at eaa.org. Ed Bolin from the National Business Aviation Association. Learn about them at nbaa.org. Of course, Jeb. You can always learn more about Jeb and his work at jebburnside.com or aviationsafetymagazine.com or avweb.com. James Winbrandt still doesn't have a web presence, but if you Google his name, you learn all kinds of learn about all kinds of amazing uh, books and articles that he's written. And uh, of course, Dave Higdon at davehigdon.com. And I am Jack. You know, it just occurred to me I forgot to introduce myself again. All right, again, Uh, again. I am. Don't say it though. But I am Jack. <laughs> we said we weren't going to say it, and we're not going to say it. If he does, I'll hit him for you. How's but I, that? But I am Ow. Jack Hodgson, and you can Would learn it? more about me and my work at jackhodgson.com or also aroundthefield.net. And, of course, you can learn about all of us at uh, the uncontrolledairspace.com website. So thank you, everyone, for joining us. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we'll talk to you all again next time. <laughs>